Hello, and welcome to the XR Stories podcast, where extended reality and storytelling meet. In this series, you'll meet creative producer John Rose Adams. John will be talking to the creators and innovators behind immersive storytelling projects supported by XR Stories. You're going to hear about all sorts of interactive storytelling genres, from theatre to gaming to virtual reality escape rooms, and so much more. Nick Bax is founder of creative agency Human. In this episode, he talks to John about blending new technologies and his XR Stories funded project, Space, Time and Streets in the Sky. So come join us on a walk through the clouds to take in the views of the city and listen to the fascinating stories of the neighbours in the sky. Well, Nick, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the XR Stories podcast. We've got loads to talk about. We're going to focus some of our time on one R&D project called Space, Time and Streets in the Sky. But you're a busy person and you've got a busy company too. So in addition to talking about brutalist architecture and and Richard Hawley, I hope, um, I'm hoping we can also talk about a second project uh, you've been involved with called Protopian Tales. And then hopefully we'll also have time to talk a little bit about your research fellowship as well. But first, let's get you acquainted with our listeners. So um, could you introduce yourself and your company? Yeah, I'm Nick Bax, and I'm creative director of Human. And we're a a team, a creative team, we're based in Sheffield. We, we started essentially as a, a kind of a, a graphic design team with skills in, in digital and some animation skills. And we've sort of developed those over the years, really. You know, now we're kind of doing more and more work in, you know, animation work, immersive work, VR projects, AR projects. Was that always something that you were drawn to um, as a digital agency or is it, is it something that's, you know, just sort of evolved, I suppose, over the years? I, I think it's something that, you know, individ, individual members of the team took an interest in and it's sort of developed. And, um, you know, some people within the human team aren't really involved in the immersive stuff and some are almost exclusively involved in it. So, but I think it came really from our animation work, um, which again was a sort of extension of graphic design and sequential graphics, um, which is why there's a very strong uh, visual aesthetic to, to the work that we do. Yeah, there is. And I want to talk about some of the visuals because um, I just watched some of the rushes from your recent projects as well. And they're so wonderfully visual. And really, I want to explore some of the kind of the, the nature of immersive VR and designing visuals in a bit. So don't let me forget that. Um, but first, let, let's dive into that your first project that we had with us. So Space Time and Streets in the Sky is what we called the R&D project. Can you set out the idea for us? So what, what, where, where the idea came from? Um, what you were trying to achieve and just lay it out for us. Well, initially, Space, Time and Suites in the Sky, we initially envisaged it as a kind of a um, accompaniment to a Sheffield Theatre's production, which is called um, Standing at Sky's Edge. And this, this ran at the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield a few years ago. And it tells the story of Park Hill, which is actually where we're based. It's where our studio is. And Park Hill is. It was built in the early 60s. It's, it was a housing estate, and it was actually the the large. Well, it still is the largest listed building in Europe. So, and you know, it's got a lot of stories to tell, and the the musical did that really. You know, it it, it sort of told the story of three different families, 
and three intertwining narratives at this place. And then Sheffield Theatres decided to tour it and take it to London. So that prompted the idea, really, because I thought, for people in Sheffield, they know all about Park Hill. I mean, it's like um, a brutalist castle sat on a hill overlooking the city. Everyone can see Park Hill. People know about it. And I thought people in London, they wouldn't really have that context. So it was really a, an idea to to see if we could introduce the, the personality of a place to the audience. So before they went to see the the musical, they could actually be at Park Hill and, and you know, feel get a feel for the place and hear some of the stories of the people that have lived there. The afternoons it'd be lads that have been in the pubs and for the dinner time till two o'clock when the back of the pub's shut, they go home, have the tea or the dinner, and then they come back out at three and start playing football after they've been drinking. And they'd be lads from 12, 13 to lads at I 20, really all playing place. together. Uh, it's, I didn't expect that I would move to a place like this. I absolutely love the view, people around, and yeah, I, actually I'm really... Get this point in. You'd never need to get wet to go to a pub. <laughs> There's a pub there, go up that lift, come on here, go to this lift, down to the Scottish Queen, have a drink there. You can climb a stair, get, get, this. Yeah. get a lift. Yeah, get a lift. Go a bit further up, down one flight of stairs, you're in the parkway. Go around the corner, end up there, you're in the link. We aren't even going in rain. Because it it was such a a dedication and such a feat and such a triumph. And we're right to be proud of it. It It is something we should be proud of. It's beautiful and I think we should stand by it. And I'm really glad that it has been taken into everyone's hearts. Yeah, we went ahead with the project and what we decided to do was kind of give the whole world an experience of Park Hill <laughs> rather than just the people who were visiting the, the theatre for the production. So the, the the core of the piece, really, the concept hasn't really changed. It's more the audience that's changed. And we made it a 360 piece um, that can be seen online. It, it kind of works best. I mean, it works fantastically through a VR headset if you're lucky enough to have one. If you're not, it works really well on a mobile device in YouTube 360 and we're really pleased with what we managed to get across. I know this is the hardest question, but can you sort of describe what the, the end piece is? So, so it's um, a piece of sort of 360 um, content that you can, you can see on YouTube, which is great. So describe the rest of it then. So what is, what, what is it for the viewer? Essentially, it's um, five different scenes from around, around the building or you know, the site, actually on the streets which as a visitor, if you visit the place, you can't actually get onto the, the decks here or streets as they call them. So you're kind of within the building, also you're around the building. While you're on these specific spots, you're hearing the stories and testimonies of people, not just people who live here now, but people who lived here decades ago because we've used um, things from radio in the past and different things. So you're really getting a, a span of time you know, throughout the piece. And also something that we weren't originally sure of but we managed to do and we're really pleased with was we we managed to incorporate archive images and footage into the environments so while you're kind of looking around the outside of park hill as it is now you suddenly you know it materializes um a pub from 1970 or or some children playing from the early 60s or a milkman delivering 
from you know the 1970s or these these different eras sort of fade in and out and they give you a real sense of the history and the times that this place has been through yeah yeah i thought that was really effective and that wonderful ability for vr and 360 pieces to to layer different forms of media over each other and the i i was i particularly enjoyed the alignment with some of the photos in particular where you'd kind of got the perspective perfect as well and that that pleased me immensely <laughs> i think as well it kind of documents a, a, a building and a community in transition because you have um a part that where has been regenerated and people have been living here for nine years you have a part that's now have students living in it student community and then you have a part that's just uh, being completed at the moment and people will be living there later this year so it really captures um you know a moment in in, in the history of this place that that won't be repeated really yeah yeah and it's such an absorbing way to convey those stories as well which i think is one of the you know i don't don't suppose it's unique to the medium but it's one of its you know wonderful things um and vr and, and the power of documentary through vr i think mm, is just mm. it's just so so really interesting you did this in partnership with um dawn hadley who's a professor mm -hmm. now, now of the university of york but i think when you first met dawn she was with the university of sheffield yes um, yeah tell me tell me a bit about that so um i guess sort of you know why you why you and dawn came together on this project and, and i guess what you were trying to sort of do together to sort of realize what you were mm. what you were creating well i originally worked with dawn about four years ago i think and um, we worked on a project to recreate Sheffield Castle, and that's something that she's, you know, an expert in, and and she'd been studying. She's just uh, published a book about Sheffield Castle. You know, I knew she was working on it, and they were planning a dig with archaeology. And I, I had an idea to recreate Sheffield Castle as a, you know, a digital model, if you like, and something that that would work in augmented reality. That was the plan. So we began to work on that, and that was a real, you know, did really well, the project. We, we had an exhibition in the city centre, and then we just kind of wanted to keep working together, really. And, you know, I, I had ideas to do stuff at Park Hill, because I see that as another form of a castle, really, but one that's actually still here, unlike Sheffield Castle, that was demolished 400 years ago. So, you know, we kind of took it from there, really. But she, what she really helped with is she had experience of dealing with the interviews and the testimonies and... Uh, that you know the historic um, material that that we managed to to uh, capture from from people who who'd uh, experience of the place. I think it's a, a real asset to Sheffield. Yeah, definitely. And such and and as a sort of fan of stories that like I am, you know, such a wonderful demonstration of all the different ways you can tell stories as well. That that one building can produce, you know, an award winning piece of musical theatre, some incredible VR content, you know, endless potential for further kind of testimony and documentary and all of that stuff. I just think is it's great. It's, it's absolutely great. And it needs to stand. It needs to exist still for those stories to have like a, a, a place to land. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Technically, did you, were there any bits um, through the project that you sort of were able to try for the first time or, or to, to figure out finally um, in terms of producing VR content? Yeah, I think the um, just the idea of augmenting what was there with archive material, and as you say, as accurately as possible, positioning sixty-year-old photographs onto modern, you know, three-sixty HD filming. That that was quite a challenge um, to get that to work, and we were really pleased with it. And it's it's not something I've seen a lot of. You know, I've seen similar 
maybe similar VR experiences where archives footage is used, but not in such a explicit way and something that's, um, you know, visually very visceral, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And it made me think, you know, the scope for sort of slightly longer form documentary content in VR, it's all, it's all there for the taking, I reckon. So yeah, I hope to see loads more of that. Okay, I'd like to talk to you about your other project now. Right. Let's let's see. So points of similarity between still VR, mm-hmm. but in terms of subject matter, go on. You're going to have to pitch it because you do a much better elevator pitch than me trying to describe it. So, so the project is called Protopian Tales, um, and it's got a sort of a, a an ambition across a number of different stories. But go on, hit hit, hit us up with your elevator pitch for it. <laughs> so. Protopian Tales is a series that I've envisaged where it's basically hoping to be a collection of stories where technology is kind of present, but it's not the main core. And Protopia, just to describe that, if you're not familiar, is, is so you have a utopia, which is a sort of a, a dream future, if you like, or a dream, you know, a dream place. Although utopia actually in Latin actually means no place. So it's something that will never happen. But it's a kind of a dream, isn't it, if you like. And then you have dystopia, obviously, which is when a utopia or or plans can go astray or go quite wrong. So protopia is where we kind of nudge along and we sort of progress just a little bit at a time. Yeah. So it's just like a little bit of utopia each each day if you like and just you know protopian ideas they're like positive ideas positive activity and for me technology can assist with this i think it really does assist with this you know so i i think for me protopia and technology really go together it becomes a superpower um the fact that you can you know literally see through walls or or just summon up this information that isn't there but we can bring it you know so that was the idea that we would have these stories and they'd be based around the use of a, you know, immersive technology and promoting a unique form of, of storytelling. So it's kind of fo- follows on from space, time, and streets in the sky in that way, I guess. But I think the difference with these is that we were looking to actually base them on fiction. That's brilliant. And so the first, I guess, the first or the the one that we've been working um, in enabling you to work on is, um, go and describe that. So I think you've been calling that the neon pack. Yeah. Go on, give us a give us a, a rationale for Neon Pack, but also what's the story you're trying to explore in that? So the Neon Pack is actually a, a short story I, I wrote, I think last year or the year before, and it, it's a very short story, and it's basically about a group of friends in a future city. It doesn't really say where the city is, it doesn't really say when, but you kind of get a feel it's in a, a near future. Mm-hmm. And the story's about them having a night out, really. It's as simple as that. It's about them having a night out. But what is a normal night out to them has elements within it that for us now are very futuristic and very, you know, very protopian, I would say. You know, the story as it is at the moment involves, you know, various adventures and things that happen in in this one evening. And what we've chosen to do for the Neon Pack for XR Stories is we've just taken three three scenes, if you like, and we've created three scenes uh, in 360. 
so yeah, the three the three sections because I watched them um, the other day. We've got a, a, a lovely sort of psyched out um, nightclub scene. There's a scene uh, as a passenger in a car and sort of being taken through this sort of like dream dream world of augmented visuals. And then finally, a kind of a I'm going to describe it as sort of like a ghostly walk along a, a, a corridor in what feels like a block of flats, but it's it, but it's very dark. So you've got this kind of sense of like a hint of where you are. And I hope it's not a spoiler alert to say the best neon animals then come flying at you down <laughs> down the corridor or, or gliding actually gently, sort of like a um, like a carnival kind of mm. moment. Mm. So so I hope that's not too much of a butchering of the the visuals and what you're doing. But and and obviously it's th the key thing is that music is a real driver mm. for this this mm. piece. So talk talk to me first a bit about the music and what you're trying to do, and then maybe how you're seeing the kind of the relationship between. VR content and new music content as well. Mm. Uh, for the music, we've um, worked with Sheffield musician um, 96 Back. kind of grown up in Sheffield he's in Manchester as well now and he's really coming into his own at the moment and he's associated with Hopeworks which is a music venue here in Sheffield this this project originally was you know it's a kind of a, a project for them as well um, and they've been involved and I, I'd kind of envisage that the the club scene, if you like, at the, at the start of the story, that's kind of where they are, like possibly at Hopeworks. Yeah. Also, bear in mind, when we were creating this, for some time, people hadn't been allowed to go to clubs, you know? You'd been at a tap, so it was kind of, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, how, how do you create a virtual club environment? So that in itself was a challenge for us, actually, to, to do that. And we'd, we'd wanted to really avoid having lots of bad 3D dancing figures, you know? <laughs> I'm grateful for that you didn't go down that road. <laughs> no, I've seen people that have and uh, spent a lot of money doing it, and it looks awful. So we wanted to just give them all the, the sort of, almost like the aftertaste that you'd been in a club. It's that kind of idea. Um, and then, yeah, we move on to the, the vehicle and with, with the musician, you know, what, what we've talked, we, we've sort of shared this with him and the ideas, and then he's actually created audio for each scene, specifically for each scene. So the first one's pretty full on uh, and, and manic. The second one's more of a journey, you know, so that the music reflects that. And then the third one is um, a bit more mystical shall we say i don't know a bit more mystical or so you know a bit more sort of mellow and it's it's when you you one of the group gets home basically and it's her journey and you know you you base these things on what you know so we've kind of based it on on a, the fact she lives here at park hill and she's maybe going to be one of the residents in the new block that's opening or something you know, or maybe a, she could be a student here and it's her journey along the corridor um and the idea is that there are these neon animals as as kind of you know decoration or visual art i guess around the corridors in in this this building and 
for some reason they kind of come to life and and they're sort of moving moving so they are the neon pack because there's various animals uh, they come to life and they're moving around the corridor and i always think with a lot of these things it's good if they're part fact and part fiction and actually the the neon animals nearly happened here you know as a project it was something that we were commissioned to look at as, as human and we actually won a, a competition uh, it was an open competition to artists and we won this it was about 10 years ago now and they're actually going to put these neon animals here for real and the idea is that you'll be able to see them from a distance so this is kind of set in a parallel universe where they actually did that and the animals were here and then they come to life at night that's that's the idea that's so cool that's so cool and i, I um it struck me um as someone that didn't avoid nightclubs in my youth mm. that the, there's resonances between kind of like virtual reality as as a sort of it, it's like a kind of a delusion in a way you know mm. you, you are kind of you're accepting whatever visuals the the kind of the 3D environment is giving you as a form of reality and you're you're complicit in it there's a complicitness where you kind of know what's going on and you're kind of willingly suspending disbelief and letting your brain do its cool thing which is kind of you know getting getting excited because it's like wow they're moving why are they moving and all that stuff um but it seemed it seems an entirely um how do I describe it? It's an entirely appropriate treatment for VR to kind of work in that sort of like dreamlike fictional state where you can, it's evocative and you can be, you can suggest kind of moods, feelings, things through visuals and sound rather than VR as an obsession with um, veracity or accuracy, mm, mm, you know, um, mm. where you're trying to recreate the real world down to the pixel as a way of replacing the real world. I just love what VR when it's, when it is, dreamlike and fiction and just can blend and and it doesn't overload the senses either there's an economy that's mm, kind of mm. uh in it so i loved it yeah i i think i mean with these for me the the best examples are ones that still uh leave a door open for imagination totally and I, i've seen a few you know like really great examples of where um musicians have, have experimented or collaborated on an experiment with vr as a kind of a, 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 a I guess a replacement for a music video in certain senses. So Apex, Apex Twins got a cool one. That I think you can still see on the Oculus Store. I wondered if you thought is a kind of an open area for more um, exploration is is sort of having writers and visual artists and musicians collaborating on original content for VR as a form of kind of musical artistic exploration of itself. So rather than having musicians dabble with a bit with VR, do you think there's a vein, that there's an area where more of this kind of content will be, I guess, created, but more importantly, you know, in demand by audiences? Absolutely. I mean, I would hope so. I mean, for me, it's a kind of a, a Botopian opera isn't it really you know that's what you're looking at i mean you think what opera is and or opera was and still is and you know why not you know yeah it, it should be um lots of different skills coming together to create something unique you know and they you need these different components for it for it to work definitely but a story as the originating kind of impulse that, that kind of guides guides how yeah. then the visuals yeah. and, the, and the music and and it all comes together yeah um, and it made me think of like my ideal nightclub of the future, you know, where, where in, in a hang on in a dystopian world where um, our current one, where we're still really limited and you know finding it problematic about moving around and going to certain places, whether you can have these kind of hybrid, hybrid clubs of the future. That's what I Poss want. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, I think also 
with a lot of these things, we're looking forward to a time where AR is more, uh, you know, prevalent and the internet as we know it now, I guess, becomes more part of our world and, and how these, you know, how that would affect a, a club experience or just being in a, a taxi or, or going home at night, you know, how, how these things could be um, improved and augmented, I guess. I love, the, I love the idea of a near future where we can, if we so choose, just skin the entire world as in pink because I deemed it and my <laughs> augmented reality mixed mixed reality glasses are just enabling that to happen I feel like that's yeah yeah we deserve that I think so yeah <laughs> You can't choose your own mm. creations here, Nick, but if you were to give a recommendation to us of an amazing immersive experience from the last I don't know, 12 to 18 months, what would you choose? I guess the thing that's blown me away the most in terms of um, both technology and um, just just the experience of being there and what's what's possible is the, the Marshmallow Laser Feast installation that I went to see at the Saatchi Gallery, which I guess was, I was going to say last year, it can't have been last year, it must have been 2019, I think. I think it was a couple of years ago now. Uh, yeah. Which was, is it called We Live in an Ocean of Air? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, right. and just, it, it's one of the few things where you had, to, it was ticketed and you had to get a slot and you went along and it, what I loved about it, there was an air of mystery where you didn't really know what to expect and what, what was amazing is I mean, you expect you had a VR headset on, so you expected to see these things around you. You thought you could interact, but they had this really clever part where they had a sensor where you could actually see your breath. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I don't think anyone was really. And you know, the first time you sort of breathed out, you could actually see your breath like blue bubbles coming out of your mouth, <laughs> and it was just amazing. And and it was the whole piece was about the interaction between us breathing out and trees and CO2 and everything, you know, and and making us realize that we are part of our environment. It was just such an amazing way to do it. And I can't think of any other medium that would be capable of doing that. You suddenly got these, you know, almost like spirits around you and you, you realized it was the other people, you know, and you could see their breaths as well, which was fantastic. Oh, wow. So, I didn't realize so, you could see theirs as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that that's a really good example. I, I love that as an example, not least, I like, and I know partly from conversations with people who were were alongside marshmallow laser feast on that journey mm. that you know it wasn't you know it, it was it was very risky to 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 present what they did mm. and the way they did but for it to be at a gallery for it to be a socially engaged piece of art i mean yeah it's still it's 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 a good yardstick for us all isn't it in terms mm. of like well mm. you know, that's that's as good as it can be let's 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 keep working you know it's great mm. uh, and again you know just that that ability to get technology making people thinking about nature and our relationship with nature i think that's just great well i think i think for a lot of people technology is is the enemy of nature and it really isn't <laughs> you know so it's kind of challenging that thinking as well isn't it So Nick, you're also a research fellow with XR Stories um, as of very recently. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about what your research, what you're planning on focusing on? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I was made a research fellow, obviously because the team at XR Stories have been interested in my work to date. So, you know, I'm just completing a PhD at University of Sheffield, um, which is around immersive storytelling. So I'm, I'm looking, you know, to to follow that on. And projects like Space Time, Sweets in the Sky, like, the, you know, Protopian Tales. Yeah, my work, you know, it's approaching immersive technology from a, a creative viewpoint and also trying to engage the, the public in this kind of work. Um, so they, they see it as something that is for everyone, not just people with a, a VR headset or people that go to art galleries a lot. Thank you, Nick, for taking the time to talk to us today um, and hear about both those amazing projects. Um, I'm especially pleased and excited because um, because you're now working uh, near us as a, as a research fellow. I get to see a little bit of that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the XR Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And don't forget to rate and review to help more people find us. You can find more information on our projects by heading to our website, xrstories.co.uk. Or you can find us on Twitter at XR underscore stories. XR Stories supports research and development in cutting-edge digital technologies in the Yorkshire and Humber region. We have a programme of funding, research collaboration and connection to champion a new future in storytelling. XR Stories is supported and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, the European Regional Development Fund, the University of York, the British Film Institute and Screen Yorkshire.